Last week we started to talk about the Holy Church. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll go ahead and start there. You turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Jimmy, if you would throw up Matthew 16 for me on the screen. You turn to Ephesians 5. It's in you version if you have your iPhone or iPad with you or whatever phone. It's not as cool as the iPhone, but whatever you got. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> We've got Matthew 16 up here. We've been looking at this. Verse 18 says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Everyone say, my church. Now, you got to say it loud because we're missing some people. So, my church. My church. All right. And I will build my church. The gates of Hades, or hell, will not prevail against it. Verse 19, and I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. We've been looking at this a while. Jesus makes a statement. He says, I will build my church. Who's doing the building? Jesus. Is he going to build it? When he says he's going to do something, does he do it? Okay, so he is building his church. He hasn't delegated this to anybody else. He hasn't given this, okay, pastors, you build it. I'm not building it. We're not building it. We are co-laborers with him. He's the designer. He's the architect. He's the one assembling this thing, and we come alongside his plan, his cause. So this isn't man's idea. This isn't man's agenda. This isn't man's purpose what this should look like, what this should sound like, what this should feel like, is Jesus's, okay? Then he goes on to say, I will build my church. And we've been looking at that word, my, because when he says my, he doesn't just mean it belongs to me. He means it's attached to me. It is connected to me. The number one identifier of his church is it is his body. Well, we see this, Paul brings it up many times that you are the body of Christ. And we have many members, just like our bodies, but we are still one body. Well, if we're the body, who's the head? Jesus. We saw this. Jesus is the head. If you are going to be his church and his body, you have to be connected to his head. The head. Jesus Christ. I, I can't take my body off and give it to someone else and say, okay, it could be your body today. No, this is my body because it's connected to my head, right? All the direction comes from the head. The will and the intent and the purpose comes from the head. But the head has to have a body to carry all that out. We've been talking about this. You, you can want to go to the bathroom all you want, but until your body gets up, until your legs push you up out of the chair and they walk you over to the bathroom and your hand grabs the door, and then shuts the door, and so on. Your body has to carry out what the head wants to get done. So Jesus needs us just as much as we need Jesus, because if you're not connected to the head, you're dead. A body that's not connected to the head is dead. So we got to be connected to the head. The second connection is we have to be connected to each other. If we're not connected to each other, if the body is not whole, and put together properly, it's paralyzed. Which means we may be able to perform some functions, but it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, and it's not the fullness. God is into fullness. 
That, that word is in there all the time. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, he says that, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, Jesus is the head of the body who fills all in all, which means without this, there's no fullness. So we got to be connected to each other. That's why we don't have time for games and dissension and distractions and division. We see that a lot in churches today because uh, opinions and ideas creep in, and we don't have opinions and ideas that aren't that are outside of the word. So when we all center around the word, then we become one body, one unit, moving forward. Any part of my body, if it starts to act against my body, I go get it checked out. If something's out of place, out of alignment, if my kidneys aren't working properly, if my stomach's not working properly, if my heart's not working properly, oh, that's okay, we'll just leave it alone. If I break a finger, oh, that's all right, I don't need to set it. No, we go get those things checked out. You get it fixed. You get it worked on. And so that's what we do with the body of Christ. Things get out of alignment, get it back in place. Let's set it so that we can be purposeful, run our course, run our race, and be his church. Amen? So we've been identifying that. Then we talked about the authority. The authority comes from the head. Jesus is above all. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. But if the head is there, then where's the body? With Jesus. I can't be seated here and then my head be seated here. Well, I don't want to sit on the front row. Well, I do. So my head's going to say, no, I don't want to sit on the front row. But the body says, I do. So my head, my body's here and my head's back there. No, it doesn't work that way. Wherever my head is, so is my body. So if Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, Ephesians chapter 1, then where's the body? Seated at the right hand of the Father above all principality, power, might, dominion. So the authority that Jesus has is the authority we have as his church connected to him. He has passed that down. He said, all authority has been given to me. Does anyone here doubt that Jesus has all authority? No. Which means the devil has no authority. I love that. If he has all of it, then the devil has none of it unless you give it to him, unless the body hands that off like Adam and Eve did. So we have to, as the church, operate in that because God's original intention was for man to rule and control this place, the earth. Genesis 1.26, we see it every time, that God created man in his image, in his likeness, and said, you rule, you have dominion. So the church is now reestablishing that dominion, that authority, that power of the kingdom of God back on the earth. It's the church. It's his church, the one that's connected to him. Last week, we took a turn. You're in in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Let's start there. We started talking about the holy church because Jesus is coming back for a church. That's going to happen. Well, what if there is no church on the earth that looks like the church Jesus wants? Not possible. It's there. We just have to choose, are we going to be that church or not? In Ephesians verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives. This isn't about husbands and wives. This is about Christ and his church. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water By the word, Jesus is wanting his church to be sanctified, which means 
set apart for a good use. Anybody have any sanctified dishes? Anybody have any sanctified clothes? I've got some clothes that they're only for a certain use. I don't put on my suit to come here and do construction. No, my nice dress clothes are set apart for a good use. And so that's what sanctified means. He wants his church set apart for a certain purpose, a good purpose, cleansed with the washing of water by the word. This right here should cleanse us, get us clean. Why do we need to be clean? Next verse, that he might present her. He's wanting to show you off. Jesus is wanting to present his church, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And so we touched on last week, holiness. This word that's, it's a four-letter word in the church in one sense. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to go there holy. Only God is holy. But then why is he saying that he wants to present to himself a glorious church? No spot, no wrinkle, or any such thing, but holy and without blemish. And so we took a look at this last week, and we saw that Jesus is coming back for a church. But it's one that desires to be holy. So what is holiness? Righteousness is your position spiritually. When you prayed that prayer, dear Jesus, I ask you into my heart. I make you the Lord of my life. I believe you died on the cross, rose again from the for, uh, from the dead for my sins, and you've given me eternal life. When you pray that prayer, you are righteous. That is a spiritual position. Instantly, that's how God sees you. Righteous means in alignment with his authority, which means you now have the right and the privilege to be in his kingdom. See, people that are outside of the authority of the United States, they don't enjoy the privileges and benefits that we do. They sit behind bars. They get put out in prison. Some of them lose their lives. Their lives are taken away because the stuff they did out of alignment of the governing authority. So they don't get to enjoy the privileges and benefits that we do. There's a price to pay for that. But now righteous people, those who are in right alignment with God's governing authority, his government, his kingdom, those people enjoy all the privileges and the benefits of the kingdom of God. But what's holiness? Holiness is the outward conduct and actions reflecting what's on the inside, meaning what's on the inside should be evident on the outside. I should be able to tell the difference between a righteous person and an unrighteous person based upon your outside conduct and actions. Well, I wasn't saved by works. It's not about what I do. I mess up. I sin. Maybe I say the wrong things sometimes. Maybe I do the wrong things. Maybe I respond improperly. But this here is talking about a church that is holy. That's reflecting holiness based upon what's taking place on the inside. Well, God knows my heart. Yeah, he sure does know your heart. He knows your heart real well. And he knows your heart ought to be evident on the outside. Okay, now we saw that righteousness happens instantly. You're instantly righteous. I mean, that's the one you can write the date down. 
You can put where you were at when it happened, the time, who prayed with you. That's an instantaneous thing. But now this holiness, the Bible says we are perfecting, I-N-G, ongoing, always happens. But there's something happening. There's a change that's taking place. Holiness, you can't mark it down and say, that's the day I became holy. No, holiness is what we're doing for the rest of our lives now as believers is trying to be holy, perfecting this holiness on the outside. That means the things that I used to be like, the things that I used to do, the things I used to say, I'm putting those things off and now I'm trying to be like this. And we got to be careful because it's not about looking at the world and saying, oh, they drink, I don't want to drink. Oh, they smoke, I don't want to smoke. Oh, they cuss, I don't want to cuss. Because that's what the Pharisees and Sadducees did. They, they said, oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. I thank you that I'm not like that sinner over there. No, that's called legalism. That's getting out a, a, a chart list, a checklist of do's and don'ts and saying, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. That's called legalism. That's called religion. Religion gets you stuck in do's and don'ts. But the kingdom says, be like Jesus. And so the more we try to be like Jesus, the less you will be like the world. So that means the instruction that we're gaining here, what we're learning in church services, when we walk out there, we're to apply. When we walk out there, we're to say, I'm going to be more like Jesus. Tomorrow. When we wake up every morning, today I'm going to be more like Jesus. Anyone remember those bracelets? What would Jesus do? WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? It's that mindset of whatever he would do, that's what I'm going to do today. However he would respond to that person, that's how I'm going to respond to that person. However he would act in this situation, would he walk away when that person's saying that joke or would he stand around and just laugh along with them? That's what we have to be asking ourselves. That's what the kingdom is all about is be like your king. Be like Jesus. So we have a call to holiness. Because here's the thing. <clears throat> here's the thing. We all know people that do this. We may even be people that do this. We get onto this is what we call church property, right? We're on church grounds. I remember back in the day, growing up, there was a lot of reverence and respect for church property. You didn't spit on church property. You didn't cuss on church property. You didn't smoke on church. You wait till you got off of the parking lot. I mean, you waited till you got out on the road and you were driving away before you even pulled that thing out. This is holy ground. This is a reverential place. And so, for some reason, we're able to maintain a level of self-control when we're here. But here's the problem. This is nothing special. We said this last week. All this is, is concrete, metal, and sheetrock. And some glass. Now we've got paint and carpet. That's all this is. This could be an office. This could be a retail store. This could be a warehouse. This could be whatever it wants to be based upon who moves here. This is an address. 
the people that act that way when we get here, well, I'm not, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to have to watch my tongue. I'm going to have to watch, you know, I can't let those words slip out. And we get here and we have that level of self-control and they won't say a cuss word the whole time they're in this building. But then they'll drive and go down and have lunch and they'll just start spouting off again. It's like, how come you had self-control there but not self-control here? But here's the problem. They haven't grasped that you don't go to church. You are the church. We don't attend church. We don't do church. We don't play church. We are the church. So get this. This isn't church property. Your church property. This isn't church grounds. Your church grounds. You become, you are now the church. Which means if you wouldn't cuss on church grounds, well, this is church grounds. It goes with you everywhere. That means the church just showed up at Zaxby's, and the the church just showed up at Target, and the church just showed up at my kid's uh, softball game, and the church just showed up at work, and the church just showed up in traffic. When that guy cut me off, that guy just cut off the church. He just cut off church grounds. So how would I respond? See, we got to have a different mentality because as long as we think, well, as long as I'm at church, I won't do that. Well, you're always at church because you are the church. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Actually, let me, um, ah, getting ahead of myself here. Oh, well, I want to go there. <clears throat> Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 16. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit dwells in you? Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells inside of you? I mean, let's get beyond this being church grounds. Let's ask the question, if God were here today, how would you act? If he were here instead of me, if I said next Sunday we got a special guest, uh, God is going to be in the house and he's got a word for you, we'd all be there, wouldn't we? (laughs) He's here every time where two or more are gathered. If you're here to see Pastor Mark, you came to see a boring show. Came to see the wrong guy. I got nothing for you. I can't help you. It's the word of God in me that I'm delivering that changes you. So he says, you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy Which temple you are. I mean, it doesn't get more clear than that. The temple of God is holy, and you are that temple, which means you ought to be holy. I mean, I I don't know how to make it any simpler 
than that. We, we'd have to start arguing with the word, saying, I, I can't be holy. I, that holiness, that's not, that's not attainable. That's, the, that's probably the number one hindrance for people is, I can't be holy. I can never be holy. I'm just a sinner. I mess up. So we got to get past that. Holiness is obtainable. You can live a life not sinning. Okay. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you go over three more chapters. <coughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Well, God knows my heart. Okay, but he says also glorify him on this stuff. What's taking place on the inside should be reflected on the outside. He says, in your body and in your spirit. The whole thing is the temple. And look what he says. Which are God's? Can't tell me what to do with my body. It's my body. If I want to put that in my body, hey, it's my body. The, the greatest misunderstanding about life is that we think we own stuff. We think stuff belongs to us. But I got news for you. According to the word of God, you actually own nothing. And any of it that you think you own, try taking it with you when you pass on. Even your body. He says here, you own nothing. Even your body is God's. Selfishness leads to sinfulness. A life of selfishness leads to sinfulness. If you're following along in you version, I'm out of order. That's all right. <laughs> I'm going where the Holy Spirit wants to go. Amen? A life of selfishness leads to sinfulness. Look at Adam and Eve. What got them in trouble? I want to eat that fruit. That's what I want to do. That's what I feel like doing. I. What letter is in the middle of the word sin? I. What word is in the middle of Lie. I. You believe a lie and it leads to sin because all you're thinking about is I, me, what do I want? I want to eat that fruit. I know I have access to every tree in this garden, but I want that one. It's what kids do. They will do exactly what you tell them not to do. Sometimes it's like, I'm not even going to tell you not to do it. I'm not going to tell you, don't put your finger in the light socket, in the electrical outlet. Don't play with that. Because it, as soon as I say, don't touch that, it's like the thing, it's like the, you know, it looks like it's got a mouth anyways, two eyes and a mouth, the thing saying, come put your finger 
in me. Come play with me. Like, is that thing talking to you? I'm talking to you. Get away from the electrical outlet. Okay, fine. Stick your finger in there. See what it's like. You won't do it again. Right? What we are told not to do, that's the one thing we want to do. Okay? So, we are the temple of God. Your body is not yours. What you do with it, it doesn't, it's not yours. It's not your prerogative. It's not your idea. Obedience is laying down your selfishness and doing what the Father tells you to do. What did Jesus do all his life, man? Whatever the Father tells me to do, I do it. I don't do my own will because selfishness leads to sinfulness. As long as you do what you want to do, you are obeying somebody else other than God. And what is sin? Disobedience to the word of God, to the word of the king. That's all it is. When you break it down, sin is rebellion against God's word. It's as simple as that. So let me get back in line, because this is actually how I need to set this up. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. By the way, the title of my message today is Building Walls. Well, I thought the church was supposed to tear down walls. Well, I'm going to show you we're supposed to actually build some walls. Because here's the thing is we're taking these bodies, <clears throat> we're taking these bodies, and we're saying, I'm right with God spiritually. He knows my heart, but our flesh is not lining up with any of that. We don't have anybody wanting to hold anybody accountable anymore. We don't have any try in the church. We're not trying to quit addictions. We're not trying to talk better. We're not trying to get in a right relationship with our girlfriend. We're not trying anymore. It's just God loves me the way I am. His grace is sufficient for me. Every time I mess up, his grace is there to pick me up off the floor and dust me off and say, you're all right, you're doing okay. And there's no try to be better. There's no try there. See, trying has laid out goals on how we're going to change this situation. Okay, I'm sorry, well, I'll try to do better. Well, how? Are you going to get in the Word more? Are you going to read some books that help you with that problem you're having? Are you going to meet with someone on a regular basis and develop some accountability and have someone check up on you? Not when you need help. Not, well, if I need help, I'll, I'll call you. No, I will call you. Hey, how you doing today with that thing? We, we still doing all right? Everything going okay? That's how you get out of sin. Not, I'll, I'll try to do better. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm all right. No, you ain't all right. Because there's no try. We just say we're going to do better. And when I mean do better, I mean imitate God, like we saw last week. The, the, I mean, the verse literally says, be imitators of God. Anyone ever played Simon Says in here? Anyone ever mocked somebody else? Anybody imitated somebody else? Okay, that's imitating. Being like, looking like, acting like. Someone or something else. I could do what the kids are doing this morning because they're learning the same thing y'all are learning. 
and I could call three of you up and say, all right, you act like a dog, you act like a, a horse, and you act like a robot. But I'm not going to do that. I think you guys get the picture. We do that with the kids because they like to have fun, and it helps them get the message across. Next week, we'll do puppet skit with you guys. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <clears throat> I think more of you than that. <laughs> I believe that you can sit and hear the word and receive instruction. Second Corinthians chapter 6. So, we have our bodies. And this says here, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Does not just mean marriage. Go ahead and tell you right now. We're not just talking about dating relationships. We're not just talking about picking your soulmate for the rest of your life. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you. What I'm not saying, and you'll see it here in a minute, I am not saying have nothing to do with the world. Because people always want to go, Jesus hung out with unbelievers. Jesus hung out with sinners. We're going to fix all that today. Okay? Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? Do not, uh, and what accord has Christ with Belial or the devil, darkness? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? He's identifying relationships, not just being around. Not just being around. There's a connection. All of those words, yoked, communion, fellowship, part, those are strong, tight words. That means don't go into business with someone that is, does not, is not a believer and doesn't think according to the word of God. Don't be friends with in a, in a relationship where y'all are sharing stuff. Don't be married or dating someone in darkness if you're in light. Those are strong connections. And we use that word, hang out, loosely. Well, Jesus hung out. Well, you know, I don't think Jesus hanging out is what we think hanging out. Because first of all, the Bible doesn't say, and he went over to Zacchaeus and said, hey, I want to come hang out with you today. That's not what he said. He said, I'm going to come to your house. But does anyone read the rest of that passage? He looked at him and he said, now you go and pay back everyone that you stole from. Any of you all ever hung out with an unbeliever and said, hey, everything you're doing here, you need to change it and you need to change your life. No, when we say hang out, we're usually thinking whatever you're doing, I'm doing. But what's the problem here? Is I'm light and you're darkness. That's nothing to do with being around. I'm not telling you to go out and find a Christian-owned business that only hires Christians and go work there because you can't be around worldly people anymore. It's not what I'm saying. In fact, Jesus said when he was praying to his father about the disciples, he said, I actually, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. I'm praying that you keep them from the evil one. But leave them in the world. They need to be in the world. We need to be in the world, but we need to be changing it. We need to be doing something different. So let's keep going here. For you are the temple of the living God. That's three times now 
that you have seen, you are the temple. So if you didn't believe it the first or second time, there's your third one. If you still don't believe it, I'm sorry. It's in the Bible. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So here's where a lot of people have gone. I can't be around ungodly people. Can't be around them. So I got to put my kids in Christian schools and I can only go here into church. And if I'm going shopping, you know, I got to make sure I don't look at people or talk to anybody. I can't have ungodly friends. I, I have to dislike everybody on Facebook that doesn't love Jesus like I love Jesus. This is where we go with this. Because we don't ever read the Bible in its original text. Keep it in context. What is Paul really saying here? In fact, these are the words of God. This is what God is saying. So let's read what he says. Verse 17, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. What does that word separate mean? Does that mean don't surround yourself with? Does the word separate mean don't hang out with? Does the word separate mean have nothing to do with? No, it says this. To be separate means to form boundaries. To form boundaries. To limit oneself. To divide. In a bad sense, it means to exclude yourself. And in a good sense, it means to be set apart for a good use. What does that sound like something we've discovered? Sanctification. To be set apart. In fact, the last time I looked in Ephesians chapter 5, it said that Jesus wanted his church to be sanctified, set apart. If you look at John chapter 17, when Jesus was praying for his disciples, he said, sanctify them by your word. So here's what he's saying. He's not saying be separate from people in the world. He's saying be separate from the things of the world. Now, did Jesus hang out with unbelievers? Did he go to unbelievers' houses? Did he spend time with them? Did he talk with them? Even fellowship with them? When we talked about Zacchaeus, it's probably the number one that comes to our mind. There's several times it says he went to Pharisees' houses. And we know that they were the ones that were most against him. <coughs> so Jesus was around ungodly people. In fact, he couldn't be around any saved people because he hadn't gone to the cross yet. So everybody he hung out with. But even those that were against him, he was seen with at times. But did he ever partake in what they were doing? We have to be a people. His church has to be a people that we are known by the boundaries we have set. That's what his church looks like. His church is not a group of people 
that is a cult and concludes themselves and they build their own little communities and towns and this is for real. People have done this. And they say, we can't leave our little town. This is, we're only going to hang out with other people like us. That's not his church. His church is one that could be standing shoulder to shoulder with an unbeliever and it's identifiable you are different than that person. That's his church. His church is identified as a group of people that have set boundaries. Now, boundaries have been the issue from day one because everything that God created, he created with the boundary. He created light and said, you are day. That's your boundary. He created darkness. He said, you are night. He created fish and he said, you're in the water. That's your boundary. He created birds, and he said, this is the sky. This is your boundary. He created man, put him in the garden, and then he gave him a boundary. You can eat of any tree in the garden but this one. I'm giving you a boundary. But man, (laughs) because we're so wise and awesome, we're the only creation that spoke back and said, But why? (laughs) Just like a little kid, right? I mean, the, the fish goes in the water, no problem. The bird goes in the sky, no problem. The light goes to day, no problem. The night goes to, uh, darkness goes to night, no problem. And then, uh, man says, why? Why can't I have all of it? Because God's word sets boundaries. And here's what we don't see, is that inside the boundary is all the blessings, all the freedom, all the resource that we need. Everything Adam and Eve needed was in the garden. And so the enemy, the number one thing the enemy wants to do is he he wants you to start pushing and testing boundaries. What do you mean mean I can't have sex with that person until I get married? What what do you mean I, I can't talk that way? What do you mean I can't? Hang out with these people. What do you mean I can't conduct business like this? What do you mean I can't? That's the first thing he does. Look where the enemy went. The enemy went to the one tree in the garden they could not touch. Could not eat of. Why? He takes you to the boundary. Because if he can get you to the boundary, he can get you to forget the blessing that's on the inside. See, if this room was everything was full of everything that you needed, but if all you're doing is standing over here looking out the window, just looking at everything outside, oh, it looks so awesome out there. And you forget everything that's on the inside that you have every resource you need. And we're just standing at the door just saying, yeah, I want to go play. My son does that sometimes. He'll go to the window and look at this big spacious backyard and Five feet from him is a vacuum cleaner that he likes to push around the house. It just talks to him all day long. Toys that he can build with, movies that he can watch, snacks in the kitchen he can eat. Look outside. So pitiful. I have created a, a habitat for you that has everything you need. Okay, go outside. That's what we do. We go to the boundary. There's so many Christians that are only living life by 
what can I get away with? And what can I do? That's all their life is directed by. And, you know, I, people ask me questions. You know, is, is it sinful for you to smoke? <laughs> we'll go there. Is it, sin for you, is it sinful to smoke cigarettes? My first question is, why are you asking? Why are you asking? Why, why aren't we saying, how much of the Bible is too much to read? How much prayer is too much prayer? Why are we looking at the boundaries? Is it okay to, I love it, man. You, you can go online and Google these questions yourself. Is it okay to drink a glass of wine at night with dinner? Why? Why ask the question? Is your life so pathetic and sorry that we have to have the glass of wine at night or else my life is just complete. My whole day is ruined if I can't have my glass of wine with dinner. There's, there's so much life in this and we're asking silly, goofy questions. My question is, is Jesus Lord of your life? If he said, I don't want you to smoke cigarettes for the rest of your life, could you not do it? Could you not go out and buy a pack tomorrow? Of course, the answer is yes until tomorrow comes and the stress of the day is, oh, man, this is talking to me. Well, now, now we're in sin because something else is controlling you. Something else is ruling you. <laughs> Look at this. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve. We got Adam and Eve. Hanging out in the garden, doing their thing, walking around naked, having fun. Devil shows up. First question is, did God really say you can't eat of that tree? I mean, that sounds like, am I really not supposed to smoke cigarettes? I mean, it's the same thing. Am I really not supposed to drink wine, even if it's in my own house where nobody can see me? I mean, I understand in public when I'm at a restaurant and, you know, it's a bad witness, but nobody can see me. No one knows what I'm doing. Oh, so you're only doing it because of other people. You're not worried about this relationship. But we ask the same question the devil asked. Did God really? And see, God, we've always used that as, you know, he was trying to bring doubt to God's word. Right? That's what we always say. He's trying to make them doubt God's word. He was mocking God. Did God really say? I mean, come on. Really? Did he really say you can't eat of that fruit? Did God really say that you shouldn't have sex with someone before you're married? Did he really say that? He's mocking. Because if he can mock the word, we see this every night on Jay Leno and David Letterman, when they are mocking the President of the United States, you just lost a little bit of respect for that man. He's a joke. You just lost a little bit of honor. And so that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get them to disrespect the word of God, which in turn, you're disrespecting God himself. So the boundaries are set. Look at Cain and Abel. Uh, Genesis chapter 4. I didn't put it in there. I'll turn to it and read it. Genesis chapter 4. So the Lord came to Cain. And said, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? 
if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But, <laughs> but you should rule over it. You realize he's talking to a man that has fallen and does not have Jesus living in his heart as his Lord and Savior. You ever wondered how some of those men in the Bible were counted as righteous and Jesus hadn't even come down the cross? Abraham, it was counted to him as righteous. Moses, righteous. Righteous men, righteous women of God. And Jesus hasn't come and died on the cross yet. Here's what I'm showing you. Every time sin shows up, you have the resources to not sin. Every time. Every time. You can't give me one instance in your life that you have sinned and the resource wasn't there. Because the resource is God's word. The resource is God's word. God's word is what sets up the boundary. See, the boundary for Adam and Eve wasn't good tree, good tree, good tree, good tree, bad tree. The boundary was the word. You can eat of every tree except for this one in the middle of the garden. And no, he didn't stick it in the corner way back where, you know, no one ever goes or, you know, went right out to the edge. He put it right in the middle of the garden. And the boundary was his word. He tells Cain here, if you do good, will you not be accepted? He says, you should rule over it. You should be in control here. But now this thing's controlling you. Because you've gone outside the boundary of my word. So when God says, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, that's where we were, when he says, come out from among them and be separate, he doesn't mean go lock yourself away with only Christian people. He says, separate yourself from what they're doing, the actions. That means if you're hanging out with someone Say you're, you're, you, you, you go to dinner with some friends, and they're not believers. And they say, hey, you want a drink? I mean, that's the simplest example. Hey, you want a drink? Separate. Nope, oh, sorry, man, I got to leave. Get my keys, go. No, separate means, no, nah, man, I don't, I don't drink anymore. I don't do that. I don't do that. That's so hard for people to stand up and say, I don't live like you're living. I don't do that anymore. I don't drink. It means you're dating someone. <clears throat> and they want to get it on. It's party time. It's night time. It's, it's time to do our thing. No, no, I don't do that. I'm waiting until I get married. You've just separated yourself it should be identifiable how come you don't talk like them how come you don't cuss like they do i mean because i'm separated put me in a room full of sinful people that are living in darkness and i will stand out 
Because I'll be the only one not doing what everyone else is doing. I'll be the only one looking like Jesus. Because I'm his church. This is church grounds. This is church grounds. I'm not going to defile the temple. It's a holy temple. So we have a standard to rise up to as his church. We have a standard. And this thing's being perfected in us. This thing is growing in us. But we've got to start making those decisions. Now, here's the thing. Here's the problem. If you have an issue with a certain, certain sinful thing, and if you get around it, you're tempted to do it, then you need to separate from the person. Absolutely. If you have trouble with gossip, I mean, as soon as you get it, you, you man, I just I got to tell someone. Don't hang out with gossipers. Don't hang out with people that feed on information and just want to share everybody's stuff. If you have a trouble drinking, don't hang out with people. Don't test yourself. I'm going to prove that I'm strong. I'm going to prove I got this. Uh, uh, you know, I can do this. Jesus lives inside of me. No, if you're trying to get rid of that habit and trying to change, then don't put yourself in the situation to test yourself and tempt yourself, saying, you know what, man, I, I can't go hang out because, you know, I'm trying to quit doing that, and, and I know if I get out there, I'm just going to do it. Maybe we don't need to be dating people if we have trouble appropriately staying in a dating relationship and acting right. I mean, you can't put yourself in the situation. And there, you're not separating necessarily from the person. You're separating from the temptation. It's not about the person. It's about me. And if I was strong enough to quit that and not do that, that'd be one thing. But man, I, I, I just know... I'm not going to give occasion to the flesh, as Paul said. Don't give occasion to your flesh. And then as you grow, I mean, there's things that maybe back in the day I would have had issues with, but today I know I, I don't struggle with that anymore. It's not even a temptation. It's not even a thought in my mind. I don't deal with that. I could be around that, and it wouldn't even, wouldn't even be a thought in my mind. So this separation is not about separating from people in the world. It's separating from the things of the world, which means you could be right in the middle of all the junk and stand out and be different. That's his church. That's who he's raising up. There are some churches that are, that are identified that you can live a sinful life and still go here. Hey, I know that guy. He goes to such and such church. Why is he in the bar? Why, why is he here with all of us? There's some church, and we think that's cool. Yeah, you know that church. That you know they they let them do that. Not his church. It says church on the outside, but that's not his church. I told y'all last week in my own life, I was confronted. With the sinful lifestyle by a pastor. I don't know how many of you have ever been in that situation. It's not fun. 
But I'll tell you right now, it's the number one reason why I'm where I am today. Period. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. We've got to be a people that want to help people get off the track of death. You're on train tracks that are headed straight for death. So you mean you, you identify, you know, if you see something that's incorrect in my life? Wouldn't you want me to? Do you want me to let you go play in the road while the trucks come by and they smash you and beat you? You want me to do that? What kind of pastor is that? Well, it's okay. There's some pastors, they don't want to know. They don't want to know what their staff does after 5 o'clock. They don't want to know what their staff does on Saturday night. Just make sure you're here by service for Sunday morning. Let's play a game. No, that's not his church. His church identifies things so we can get you into life. We can get you off of death and into life. Who cares if you die and go to heaven and you live like hell here? Who cares? That's what we think God's all about. Just as, just as long as you make it here. Just as long as you, you squeeze that prayer in. We, we act like we can live this party life and, and live this sin life. And we picture, you know, getting in a car wreck one day, but I'm going to have the opportunity to get that word out. I'm just going to pray that prayer. And then we'll all say, you know, he prayed that prayer on his bedside. Great. Look forward to seeing you in heaven. But what a waste of a life down here on this earth. What a waste. You influence nobody for the kingdom of God. You help nobody get out of their messes. Oh, I forgot this was all about you. Selfishness. And selfishness leads to sinfulness. You're thinking about me. You're thinking about I. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. <coughs> While you're turning there. Water. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1. This is straight out of that that we read in 1 Corinthians 6. It says, therefore... Therefore, since we're separated, therefore, since we have the promise that God will dwell in us, therefore, having these promises, beloved, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let us cleanse ourselves. Whose responsibility is it to get cleansed? Ours. From all filthiness in your heart. Your flesh is okay, but your heart, that's what we need to get cleansed. No. It says from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. That means when you get cleansed on the inside, it should be working something out on the outside. Don't judge me. Don't judge me about my actions. I'm not judging you because to judge you would be to sentence you. But I am called to police the situation. Hey, what you're doing is wrong. You need to change that. Anyone ever been pulled over by a police officer? Everybody here? 
Okay? So you know what that's like. You may have gotten a warning. You may have gotten a ticket. May have been worse. I don't know. But who's the one that identified that you were doing wrong? Was it the judge? No. The police officer. Who's the one that gave you the ultimate sentence? The judge. They're the ones that make up the laws. If you do this amount, then you pay this fine. Or you do this. You go before a judge, but they're not the ones that identify the problem. And we say, don't judge me. Oh, I'm not judging you. I'm not the one that can say you're going to heaven or going to hell. I'm not sentencing you. But I am saying that's not a lifestyle of his church. That is not a lifestyle that's holy. You are in sin. And I'm just letting you know. If you sin and continue a habitual lifestyle of sinning, you're on your way to death. That's what the police officer will say. He's just, he's not the one that's telling you, okay, you're going to be sentenced to this or this or this. Those laws are already in place. He's just identifying, hey, I just caught you. You're going 85. This is a 70. You're out of alignment. So that's what we are doing. We are identifiers. And that's not to say you're not still dealing with something. But I'm not going to watch you go down the tracks towards death just because, well, you know, I've sinned, so there's nothing I can say about it. I would hope If you guys saw something in my life, I would hope you would say something. Just saying. We already looked at 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. You are (coughs) the temple of God. Go to 1 John chapter 9, or 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, verse 5. I know, I've been saying some words that we don't like to talk about. Sin and holiness, we just want to talk about the cross. And You know, here's the thing. We talk about the cross a lot, <clears throat> but I don't know that we fully understand what the cross did. We think of the cross as something that got us out of hell and into heaven which is the consequence and the reward, right? The consequence for sin is going to hell, and the reward for getting out of it is going to heaven. But the Bible says that the cross not only redeemed you from the consequence of sin, it redeemed you from the power of sin. It means before you were saved, you couldn't do anything but sin. Even if you knew it was wrong, you were still doing it. You don't have the power. But the cross not just saved you from having to pay the penalty. It saved you from the power of it, which means it's broken sin's curse over your life, and you can now make the right decision. That's the power of the cross, man. 
Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Now I have access into heaven. Now I don't have to go to hell. But what about this? What about your time here? It's redeemed you from that. It's redeemed you from the power, that sin, that controlling. It got you out of that to where you can now be controlled, owned, and operated by God himself, not the devil. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. I got a real good point, so stay with me. I know we're closing down, but I still got a good point left. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteous, uh, he who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. John's making it very clear. He's, he's one of those black and white guys. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. That's what he's been doing the whole time. Is sinning. That's what he does. That's what he's good at. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. That he might destroy the works of the devil. What's the work of the devil? What's he been doing from the beginning? Sinning. And now Jesus has been manifested to destroy that work. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And look, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. The key in this passage is what are you abiding in? What are you feeding on? If there's something you're trying to kick, if there's a sin in your life that habitually shows up that you're trying to get out of, are you feeding it still? Because he says right here, whoever abides in him cannot sin. How do you abide in God? God is his word. If you get in his word, you're fellowshipping with God. So here's the thing, because we were talking about we don't have to separate from the world physically. I don't need to. It's not that I can't hang out with you or be around you. But here's the problem. Is natural fellowship with sinners without spiritual fellowship with God is dangerous. If you want to continue to run a course of being around sinners, I'll tell you right now, we're called to change the world, to be light in darkness. And we already saw Jesus was around sinners, but guess who Jesus hung out with the most? His father. Guess who he spent the most time with? God. 
if we are going to change that out there, we've got to let him change us in here. I know it sounds simple. And it is that simple. The reason he would fellowship with unbelievers is because he was light in darkness. But he had to get a hold of the light to take it into darkness. So his fellowship and abiding with God and in his word enabled him to be light in darkness and not become darkness. We have to be fellowshipping here daily. This is a requirement. This is not an option. This isn't, well, if I get around to it, well, I'll do it this week and and see what I can do. I'll give him what I got. Give him everything. This is the most important thing, people. This right here. Because if we are not connected to this, we're dead. If we're going to be his church, we're going to be a church that abides in the word. So when we get out in the darkness, our light shines. Your light's got to shine. Your light doesn't shine when you're doing what everybody else is doing. Your light doesn't shine when you're standing in that circle of of guys that are telling terrible jokes and you're just laughing right along. No light is shining. Nothing is identifiable. That person is different from that person. Your light's not shining when you get around that group of girls and they're all just gossiping and talking about people and you just chime right on in. Your light's not shining. Your light's not shining when you're out with some friends and they order drinks and you say, well, you know, it's just... One quick thing, one night. Your light's not shining. The only time light doesn't work is when it's not used properly. The only time light doesn't manifest is when it's not working. But it's up to us to work it. We are the light of the world. We're the ones eradicating darkness in this world. We're the ones identifying that's not right. And we're going to talk next week about the truth in love. Because I'm telling you right now, we're not going to be the church that goes to the abortion clinic and starts picketing and carrying signs that says, uh, you know, you're, you're murdering and you're going to hell and you're going to die. That's not how Jesus did it. Jesus developed relationships. But he placed a demand. He looked at an adulterous woman that was caught in the act of adultery, had every right to be stoned to death, according to the law. I mean, she was in bed with the man when they caught her. This wasn't just an accusation. This wasn't, I think she did it. They caught her in the middle of it. They drag her out. They say, what are you going to do about it? What would you do? Trying to get him caught up. And he said to the Pharisees, he said, any of you who have never sinned, cast the first stone. And then he gets up and looks the woman in the face, a sinner, someone who has no opportunity to receive grace, to receive mercy, to receive Jesus as her Lord. 
and says, I don't accuse you. Where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. Be holy. That's, that's what this will do. It'll place a demand on your life to, I can't keep up with that lifestyle. I can't keep doing that. Because there are people in darkness. I have to change so I can change them. I have to be different so they can see that I'm different and they'll be drawn to the light. Sure, they'll make fun of you. Sure, they'll laugh at you. Sure, they'll call you an idiot. Sure, they'll call you stupid. Sure, they'll make fun of your God. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, the world hated me, and they'll hate you. But the day that one person that always made fun of you, that always laughed at you, that always mocked you, and they get a report from their doctor that says they're dying in three weeks, they have cancer. Guess who they're coming to? Hey, you know that God you always talked about? Think you can pray for me? I just lost my job. My wife's leaving me. My daughter's really sick. They, they say she's not going to make it. They're taking my house. Guess who they're coming to? They're coming to the light. They're not going to come to you if you act like them. You can't help me. I need someone that can help me. So who cares if they laugh? Who cares if they mock? Who cares what they say about your God? I'm not drinking. I'm not doing this thing with you. I'm not talking like that. Your joke is stupid and it's not funny. So I'm not laughing. Because I'm light. I'm light in darkness. I'm not going to carry on and act like we're best buds and then one day I'm just going to say, Hey, you want to come to my church? Don't work like that. They want to know you're different. They want to know you got something to help them. Going on down in verse 24, I'll close with this. First John chapter 3, it says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he gives us. The word of God being applied, obeyed, activated in your life is evidence. Is evidence that he's in you. Is evidence that you're in him. You can't tell me you're in the word and we're still dealing with stuff. And when I mean dealing, I mean allowing things to happen. Because it's an identifier. It's cut and dry. If you're not in this every day, you will struggle. Because this is your only hope. This is your only help. If you're struggling and dealing with something, get in God's word. He says, if you abide in me, you won't sin. How much clearer? I tell you, no one enjoys sinning. 
Sure, the actual act might be fun for a season, the Bible says, but in the end it leads to death. But no one enjoys disobeying God. I'm just tired. I'm tired of dealing with this thing. I'm tired of going on the internet and going to that site. I'm tired of watching this. I'm tired of doing that. I'm tired of talking to this person. I'm tired of hanging out with these people. Then get in here. Abide in him. Let his word abide in you. David said in Psalms 119.11, he said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. He said, putting the word in my heart, hiding it in my heart, not just reading it and walking away, hiding it. Get it down in there. When you hide something, it's hidden, it's safe, it's secure. Nobody can come and grab it and snatch it. Your word have I hid, so I won't live a life of sin before you. And will you make mistakes? Sure. But we have a God who forgives. But he's looking for people that want to make a habit of living for him, not living like the world. It should be more life like him and few mistakes than more mistakes and few trying to live like him. That's what it should look like. It should be few, far in between. I'm giving you a picture. Some of you might still be sitting there thinking, there's no way I can do that. Have you tried? Have you done this? Have you applied this? Because I'll tell you right now, of course you don't think you can do it because you've been trying all by yourself, just like you did before you got saved. Just like all those people in the Old Testament trying to follow Ten Commandments, do not lie, do not steal, do not cheat, do not commit adultery, do not take the name of God in vain. But never could do it because Jesus hadn't come, died on the cross and made anybody righteous. But this, now we have a way to live holy, to live right, to make decisions based upon the word, not on our surroundings. And to quit doing stuff. To put it down. I said last week, I, I don't mean to make light of sin. Like it's just, I just snap my fingers and it's gone. But there's got to be an attempt. Well, I just, I, I mean, alcohol. I just I struggle with alcohol. Have you made any attempts to stop? Are you talking to any anyone about it that can help keep you accountable? Are you shopping at a different place? A lot of sins we do, we do habitually and don't even know what to think about it. So let's change up the habit. There's got to be attempts made because that's how you live a holy life. That's how we change direction. That's how we get on God's path and be light in darkness rather than darkness in darkness. Darkness in darkness doesn't help anybody. The Bible says blind will lead the blind and they will both fall into the ditch. So let's grow. Amen? Let's apply the word. Let's build walls. Let's separate. Let's divide. 
take up some boundaries and say, you know what? See, here's what I want to see people do. People want to do this. Draw a line in the sand. All right, I'm not doing that anymore. And then they stay right by the boundary. No, I want to draw a line in the sand and say, I want to get as far away from that line as possible. I don't even want to be associated with that. Well, I'm not going to drink, but I'm going to hang out and still go to parties where they serve alcohol. No. The boundary is right here. But man, I'm going to get away from even the appearance of evil. If they serve alcohol there, I'm not even going to go. Oh, well, that's, that's drastic, Pastor Mar. I mean, you know, I mean, how are we supposed to influence anybody? Because you can't hold from that. You can't keep from giving into the temptation. If you're on the line, you could stumble into it, fall into it. Somebody else could push you into it. But if you're over here, they'd have to literally pick you up and drag you to the line and throw you over it. They'd have to come get you. They'd have to bring the party to you. They'd have to bring the alcohol to you. So a holy lifestyle is on us, not on Jesus. I said it last week. Righteousness, you are righteous because of what Jesus did on his cross. But you're holy because of what you do with your cross. We have a cross to carry. Righteousness was on Jesus, and that's been done. But now that should cause a holy lifestyle to come out of us and say, you know what? Now I'm taking up my cross, and I'm going. And I'm crucifying those wants, those desires, that life I used to live, that person I used to be, the way I used to talk. The addictions I used to have. What's an addiction? It's something that you can't quit. Anything. If it's controlling you and you can't put it down, well, I just can't seem to not talk that way. I just can't seem to not drink that thing. I just can't seem to not look at that thing. And you might be thinking, well, I could quit it today. Well, then do it. Go home, throw it all in the trash, unplug the computer, take it out of the house, get rid of it on your phone, do, quit talking to the person, delete their name out of your contacts, whatever. Do it. Why? Because I, I, I serve a holy God. I am the temple of the living God. I am a holy temple. I will not defile this temple. I will be righteous and I will be holy in my flesh and in my spirit. That's what God's calling me to do. And because of that, I'm going to make influence. Watch, the, watch your doors of influence open up when you choose to live a holy lifestyle. Just watch it happen. When you choose to live holy, watch the people God puts in your, in your path. Watch the people he brings along. Watch your doors of influence. Some of you have been praying, I, I want to be influential. I want to help more people. Start laying stuff down and watch what God starts bringing your way.